You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So today we are reviewing Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the long-awaited sequel to Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which came out in 2008. Now, uh, of course, most movie lovers know the Indiana Jones franchise because the most popular of the series came out in the uh, 80s, 1981 through 1989, and then eventually found its way to a new generation later on uh, to a little bit less uh critical and commercial reception or critical reception i guess anyway so uh the interesting thing about indiana jones and the dial of destiny is that chief among them harrison ford is uh 80 years old and he was in his late 70s as he was filming this and um it was always planned for paramount to uh, have a deal with lucasfilm to create five indiana jones movies uh even as early back as the early 1980s when raiders of the lost ark came out so this wasn't something that was necessarily just planned simply because the last one made money. This had been a long time coming. And of course, Disney didn't own the franchise rights back then. But Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, whether it was um, going to happen within 20 years or whether it was going to happen in roughly you know, 35 years, which it has uh, in this case, was always on the table. So now that we have our fifth and presumably final indie movie, we'd like to share our thoughts. So let's go ahead and get into what our expectations were going into the film and how we saw it. So you go ahead. Um, well, I think I've said this when we re-reviewed or when we reviewed uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, what, year, year and a half ago now? Yeah. It was rewatch month or something. Um, I have never been a big Indiana Jones fan. I remember my parents going to see the original film in 1981 and coming back saying it was a return to form to the swashbuckling movies that they remembered growing up and that it was just really all the rage. Uh, and they loved it. And I remember going to see it thinking, uh, okay, that was good. I like that. And then, you know, moving along. So for me, I was not quite as enthusiastic even about seeing this as you were. Now, we watched Temple of Doom, and I think I liked that reasonably well. I don't think it held up as well as I had hoped it would have held up. Um, and then the third one, The Last Crusade, people rave about. I have zero recollection of. And then The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which people despise. Um, the only scene I remember is the refrigerator scene, which you reminded me yesterday is the is the scene that most people remember from that film. So all of that is to say, I, I honestly, aside from Temple of Doom, because we rewatched it recently, I, I couldn't distinguish one from the other. So I, I hate to be that guy, but I was really, you know, this is a return to my childhood. So of course I had to see it. And Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford, who is such a part of my childhood when it comes to film, that there was no question I was going to see this. But was my excitement level really high for this? Not really. And um, honestly, your enthusiasm for it was even more appealing or, or made the film going experience more appealing than I think it probably would have been if you had not been as excited about it. So there you have it. It's a long um, 
explanation of how I came to this film. I was excited it was happening, but I have many things to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there have been many things said about it so far. But um, yeah, my going in experience for this movie was um, I'll just I'll just lay the groundwork. Grace had never seen any of the Indiana Jones movies. And uh, so I made a personal mission for her to uh, watch the trilogy. And she actually greatly enjoyed uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, The Last Crusade. And those are just fantastic movies altogether. So all of this is fresh in my mind. I will admit I had forgotten some of the finer details and maybe some of the characters in some of the movies. But then again, Indiana Jones isn't necessarily strictly known for how strong its story is. It's more about the adventure and the pulpy action that you get along the way. Now, um, in 2008, when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out, that was the only thing that mattered to me. I remember we were collecting the Indiana Jones figures and you would once you collected six stamps uh, that you got with the Indiana Jones figures, then you could mail in that card and get a very special Crystal Skull alien figure. And we wanted to gift it to you. But for some reason, we lost that sort of little piece of paper. And Luke and I were just devastated. We wanted we had gone so close and we just couldn't find it for the life of us. And, um, you know, I just remember that time. That was the most anticipated movie for me. And by all accounts, I'm pretty sure when I was nine or ten, I did enjoy that movie quite a bit. But I don't remember much of it either, even though it made a ton of money at the box office. But speaking of money, this movie is the 13th most expensive film ever made. Pretty uh, pretty crazy. Obviously, COVID and reshoots um, affected this greatly. And then just the general production of it took a long time to make. I mean, you know. Harrison Ford was pretty old in 2008. Now it's been even longer. So, you know, 14 years later, 15 years later, it was originally slated for a 2019 release. It was pretty long overdue. And of course, for somebody who likes the Indiana Jones movies and recently rewatched them, this was something that I was excited about. But for some reason, I was a little bit more reserved in my um, expectations because I had seen people talking about it online. They're not saying it's the greatest film ever, but there's a lot of discourse and discussion on this. And I wanted to keep myself from spoilers and too much of it before I went to go see it. And that's kind of how I went into this movie. I was reasonably excited because of the property, but I can't say that I was expecting amazing things. So I try to temper my expectations going in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing I'll say is because my dad, your pop pop, loved loved Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. How could I not flock to see Indiana Jones? I mean, that's you know, he there were a few, I don't know, movie icons, characters in the in the film um, uh, film business that he was really drawn to. He just really mm-hmm. liked the characters. Rocky was one of them, yeah. and I don't quite get that one either. But you know, it's my dad, so that's all that matters. And so I'll go see these movies. Oh, James Bond is another one, although I've sort of given up on them. So all of that is to say, it's a little bit of a. Um, I, I was looking forward to it. Honestly, I think this is probably the big film of the summer, or at least I think that was uh, conventional wisdom. But who knows about this summer? We, we're talking a lot. We're talking about a lot of new movies this summer, mm-hmm. and I think every single one of them is being met with very different box office reactions. But Absolutely. we can talk about that in another in another episode. 
certainly. And there's a lot of competition still coming up for the summer mm-hmm. as well. With um, We're covering all those too. Yeah, nearly guaranteed box office sets. We'll go over that later. But um, yeah, so before we get into what we thought of this movie, let me just preface a few details. Yeah, so like I said before, this was made on a budget of about $300 million. It's the 13th most expensive movie in history, and it's the only Indiana Jones film that's not directed by Steven Spielberg. It was directed by James Mangold, who most people uh, might know from Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, and uh, two uh, X-Men films, one including, I believe, X-Men Origins Wolverine, and I believe The Wolverine. So Mm -hmm. yeah, he's been around. He's an established director, and... Honestly, in his hands, I thought this film could do a pretty good job. This movie does have an all-star cast of Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Antonia Banderas, John Rhys-Davies, Toby Jones, Boyd Holbrook, and Mads Mikkelsen. Most people will probably know Mads Mikkelsen from Rogue One, the Hannibal TV show, or he just kind of pops up in a lot of stuff these days. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's definitely a recognizable face. Um, But to suffice to say... This film is just an abject flop right now. It needs about $800 million to break even, considering all costs. And over the July 4th weekend, which is probably the prime time to release a blockbuster film of this size, it's only made $131 million. Now, will this film have legs? I don't know. All I know is that usually the first weekend is a good determinant of how the rest of the movie will do. And of course, we do have this Tuesday as the extended part of the weekend. But uh, right now... It's looking like the franchise might go out with a whimper. And that's unfortunate to see, considering that the other movies were made for considerably less and made tons of money on their own return. So, yeah, Uh, the movie also sits at 154 minutes, which uh, I'm sure that you can speak to eventually. And uh, (laughs) I will. It was produced by Kathleen Kennedy, who is also known for Star Wars. And I believe she's the head of Lucasfilm right now. She's the president of Lucasfilm. Um, and she and Steven Spielberg have uh, worked directly with one another for years and years and years. She's actually responsible for, for producing most of the films uh, that you've greatly enjoyed um, over the past 30, 40 years or so. Um, and then, of course, uh, one of the production companies here was Lucasfilm, even though I don't believe George Lucas had any direct influence over it. So that's sort of the groundwork for the movie. What are your thoughts on the film itself. Well, let me read the synopsis really quickly. Daredevil archaeologist Indiana Jones races against time to retrieve a legendary dial that can change the course of history. Accompanied by his goddaughter, he soon finds himself squaring off against a former Nazi who works for NASA. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I could probably have read that and that would be applicable to any of the Indiana Jones films. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, uh, that that is, folks, for Dial of Destiny. Uh, your question to me, Noah, was what? My question was, what did you think of this film? I didn't love this film. I, you know, I went in with fairly low expectations. Um, I, I didn't hate this film. I just thought it was there. I have so many things to say about it in in a relatively short amount of time. I just um, the film did not exceed my expectations. It probably met or maybe met almost met my expectations because they were so low. And that was disappointing. I really wanted to be. Uh, this film for me was just like all the other Indiana Jones films. Meh. Okay. I gotcha. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought at one point in time, Temple of Doom was your favorite Indiana Jones movie. And I believe upon rewatch, it was lesser for you. 
Um, yeah. I didn't realize that you had um, kind of ap- such apathy for the franchise as a whole. I figured that, you know, you liked them enough, but it sounds like they've been mostly forgettable to you. Um, and this one is no different, it appears. Yeah, I, I yes, I, you know, I wanted, I tried really hard to like this. I like the. There are some things I really like about this film. Make no mistake, and we'll get to that in spoilers. But overall, I just, it, it did not do for me. I wanted it to convert me. You know, I wanted to be a convert. I wanted to be like an Indiana Jones loyalist when I left the theater. I'm not. I think that's fair. Um, yeah. So my thoughts on the film, very similar. Uh. I am pretty online when it comes to the general sentiment of movies and discussion, what people think of it, what uh, opinions are being thrown out. And personally, I think this movie isn't bad in any sense. There's been a lot of people who have been going really hard on this movie, saying it's just terrible. It has, you know, it's trying to throw in some kind of like political message here and there. I didn't get any of that. I personally thought that this film did a really good job of staying very neutral and the department of being heavy handed with trying to teach a lesson, but it more so just tried to tell an adventurous story. And I thought the new characters themselves were decent enough in their own right and worked within the context of the Indiana Jones universe. But I also think that this movie had one really big sin, and that was the sin of being mostly uninteresting. A lot of it was very boring dragged along and it was just kind of evident that Harrison Ford is too old to be doing some crazy stunts and there's only so much you can get away with with that character and I think that's very well evidenced by the first 20 minutes versus the rest of the movie because there's a lot going on here but very little is done if that makes sense and I think for the most part there's nothing terrible or really bad about this film I just think in many ways, it's a little bit dull in some senses, and it certainly doesn't justify its budget. I have seen films made for half of this money uh, with a lot more excitement and I guess diverse set pieces and just exciting action. And I think that just goes to show what a bloated budget can actually do to the quality of a movie sometimes. But overall, I didn't think it was terrible, but I'm just at such a crossroads here because there was some stuff I really liked. There are some things that I know about the Indiana Jones characters and universe that perhaps you might have forgotten to time um, that I actually really enjoyed. I thought the ending was pretty darn good. Um, and I also thought the opening was very strong as well. There were some things to really enjoy about this movie, but for the most part, it was far outweighed by pretty lifeless and dull sequences that just couldn't really live up to the previous uh, entries in the franchise. I think, I think everything you've said is fair. Yeah, I think this is probably better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but it's definitely on par with that one. And the first three are just miles above. But all in all, personally, I thought this was relatively inoffensive. It was just, you know, it kind of went out with kind of went out with a thud. And I think that's what is most disappointing about it. Right. Yeah, I want to go into spoilers, but I would just say that, um, yeah, this movie was completely unnecessary. It's just a cash grab. Um, And I think what's happened is, and unless it has a strong holdover, um, that uh, the the new generation has not, has no, has little interest in Indiana Jones, which is unfortunate. 
Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, this is one of those franchises, unlike Star Trek, where once you've lost your main star, you you can't start something new with it. Indiana Jones is synonymous with Harrison Ford. And I don't think no matter how hard people tried, you would be able to continue such a franchise without him. And I think now that he's done with the role, I think the franchise really does need to be laid to rest. I think much like the interests of its characters, it needs to be left uh, to history. And I think it's had a great run for the most part. And there's been a couple stumbles along the way. But when it comes to these types of sequels, obviously the the trilogy was about as good as you can get for a trilogy. I don't think the franchise is necessarily ruined, but I think they need to stop here no matter what. I think there never needs to be any other Indiana Jones property again. If there was a book or something that they wrote about some time period in uh, Indiana Jones's life when he was younger, that's fine. But I think in this sense, it is this franchise is well past its expiration. I think Harrison Ford knows it and the box office returns are going to show this and it needs to just be remembered as, you know, a big adventure romp that worked really, really well for a long time, but just needed to end with its uh, synonymous character. So, yeah, I think in short, if Harrison Ford can't re-energize this, uh, series, then certainly no one can, and it needs to end here. So let's go into spoilers because there's a lot to say and not a lot of time left. So I want to do that. Sure. Okay. All right. So what you got? I was just going to say, if you haven't seen the film yet and you want to watch it, stop here, but make sure you come back because you know, we have opinions and, uh, we might give away some, um, some plot, uh, essentials here. So you have been warned spoiler territory. Here we go for Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say this. The first sequence, which was way too long, 20 minutes of action, was necessary in order to bring us back into, uh, was necessary to create a sense of story, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and I appreciated that. I I actually felt like this film was relatively well made. But for me, um, one of the things is, you know, they did the the de-aging on Harrison Ford, which Mm -hmm. was fine. I don't have a problem with de-aging. What they didn't do was de-age his voice. So you had the 80-year-old Harrison Ford's voice with the 50-year-old Harrison Ford's face, and they just are incompatible. And it just bothered me the whole time. And and, and I don't want to be accused of ageism here, but what you said is, I think, true. When you're 80 years old, it, it is really hard to pull off all of this running and all of this action. And and. That's not to say you can't do it. It's just when you're so accustomed to seeing 30-year-old Harrison Ford and 40-year-old Harrison Ford and 50-year-old Harrison Ford doing these things as Indiana Jones, when you get to 80 years old, there is a stark difference, and it takes away from it. I, I hate to say that. No, I absolutely know what you're talking about, but you know, I don't think that's ageist at all. I think it's just a hard truth that we have to admit. Most people, like everybody knows that we're going to get old and our functions are going to decrease. That is just a fact of life. It has always happened. And no 80-year-old is going to run like a 20-year-old. That's just fact-based. However, an 80-year-old can definitely be more active um, for that time span of their life. And, you know, it's just, I think, I think you're absolutely correct. I'm not upset that Harrison Ford is 80. I think it's just 
he is 80 years old. He cannot be the character that he once was here. And to his credit, I commend him for doing this. I mean, that is that is a lot of movement and, you know, a lot of work that you have to do, especially when you've been doing movies and been in the film business for so long. But you are absolutely correct about that voice. He has this gruffness in his voice now where it's actually hard to make out some of the dialogue that he says. And I noticed that immediately. It was his current voice pasted onto his 40 or 50 year old body. And that was noticeable from the very beginning. And for the most part, I've actually been a a little bit of a supporter of de-aging. And I've enjoyed most of what people have been able to do with that. But I feel like they I feel like I'm impressed with what I see for a second. And then they just they carry it on a little bit too long. And I start seeing the rubberiness of it like the. I can start seeing the CGI effects. And of course, it was set at night. So that was an excuse to sort of make it more believable. But when they shine the flashlight on his face, that's what I was like, okay, you guys were doing so well with this, uh, uh, with this de-aging thing. And now I, I, it's, it's taking me out a little bit. But for the most part, I thought it worked. You know, for the most part, I thought they did a pretty solid job with it. Now, yeah. the first 20 minutes, I know you said it was too long, but I thought this did a great job if anything, of establishing that the people behind this knew what made the old movie special. And I thought it was quite a, I thought it was quite a thrill ride. There was some cool stuff going on. You know, there's plenty of action and I did appreciate that. And it felt like an old time Indiana Jones movie. And I think it did set up the story pretty well for what they were going into next. Um, Introduce the main villains, um, sort of what the conflict was and, you know, what would be happening for the rest of the movie. So I thought it was worth putting in and I can see why people are praising this as the probably the best or one of the better parts of the film. Um, what did you think of, um, well, the new main character in Phoebe Waller-Bridge? I have not seen Fleabag, but I know how wildly popular it is. I think she's won multiple Emmys for it and maybe Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. I've not seen it. What did you think of Phoebe? When she was initially introduced, I thought it was she was a little difficult to like but then i found her character development over the course of the film to actually be quite enjoyable i thought it worked that she was the goddaughter of indiana jones and of course she had those same interests and i appreciated how she kind of went from just interested in money and the selfish pursuit of looking after her own self um to really caring and reconnecting with her god with her godfather because that was a critical part of um you know her relationship with her own father and archaeology and artifacts and history ties this all together so ultimately i actually thought she was a pretty clever addition in a lot of parts i think she is a victim of the worst dialogue in the film sometimes but for the most part i thought she was i thought she was an enjoyable character who got better as she went on and worked as one of the co-protagonists i thought she was capable i thought she was um, very clever in many instances and i appreciated um i appreciated that it wasn't just her always saving him just because he was old it was a mixture of teamwork you know it wasn't just him saving her or her saving him they were working together and i think that showed a really good dynamic for what it was he was her godfather estranged for a time and they worked as a team. And I think that's so important that we don't just have the damsel in distress trope or just the newcomer, the young person just completely, you know, shows up the old timer. 
there's a lot to there's a lot to love in that sort of dynamic and i did appreciate that so and i really appreciate that they didn't just harp on the you're 80 you're so old jokes you can't do anything they actually were really light on that despite that just being the obvious elephant in the room and personally i liked her character a lot more as she went on now was i in love with the character no but did she work out a lot better than how i thought she would when she was introduced absolutely yeah, interesting. I um, almost have the complete uh, opposite reaction. I liked her, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but I think I liked her less the longer she was in the film. Okay. Um, and, you know, again, the film went on way too long. Mm-hmm. And that last sequence, as we're going to find the second piece of the dial, just dragged on. But I did find her to be um, value added in the film overall. I felt yeah. like she was very appealing as a performer and I can see why probably she's very well received uh, in, you know, in Fleabag, which I think she also wrote too. But all yeah. of that is to say, I, I thought that, you know, there was value in her character. I have to say I was woefully offended by how um, little fanfare Antonio Banderas got. I mean, he almost... I mean, Oh, it's Antonio Banderas. And then, oh, Antonio Banderas just got killed. And and there was almost nothing in between. You know, here's yeah. my old friend. And it was just like, this This is Antonio Banderas. I mean, this guy is a huge star and, you know, is a game changer in a film. Not in this one, unfortunately. Yeah, I know what you're saying. So that whole boat part, um, I remember his character being introduced. And I squinted and was like, is that Antonio uh-huh. Banderas? That's what your mom says. That's Antonio Banderas. I was um, like, no, it's Puss in Boots. that's true but um i actually you know i think it was one of those things where he was like i have the opportunity to be a side character in an indiana jones movie and i'm just going to take that 10 minutes and you know be a part of uh this franchise's history and be totally okay with that and i think it'd be an honor to work with harrison ford as well so ultimately i think that worked um there's a couple things i think the eel sequence the diving sequence could have been a lot cooler it was more brief Agreed. than i expected and they kind of built it up to be a little bit more but once again i think that's just a product of the limited action that you can really put in a movie without making it completely cgi or you know pushing harrison ford to his limits so once again i commend him for being able to do all that but just the thought of an 80 year old man being underwater in conditions like that almost <laughs> it, it almost played off as elder abuse in some situations i was just like i really hope they're treating him well and they're like you know he didn't have to go through too much uh to do this but at the same time it was cool to get a diversity of set pieces thought there were too many car chases of course and very extended ones at that but um the biggest one of the biggest problems i had with this movie was the villain um i think he was the least impactful of all the villains in the indiana jones franchise and he had the least cool death Generally, Indiana Jones has awesome deaths. The first guy completely melted after seeing uh, God, uh, the wrath of God through the Ark of the Covenant. The second guy got eaten by alligators. The third guy aged so rapidly that he just disintegrated into dust. And then the fourth villain, uh, she saw the aliens and then her eyes just burst into flames. This guy just got into a plane crash. And I didn't even know how he died until you just said that. I'd forgotten completely. Right. And he just showed up at the end or he yeah. just he just showed up whenever they got another piece and just whenever the plot needed them to be there so ultimately i thought the villain and his lackeys were relatively weak um not way too interesting in that sort of department but i also thought that um his motivation and just general way of thought 
I, I, his motivations weren't incredibly clear to me. He obviously stated them eventually, but I, I just didn't think he was that effective of a villain. Easily the weakest of the entire franchise, and um, that did disappoint me. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I had the majority of my issue with the film, and also Teddy, the new um, you know teenage young character. He's just a dollar store short round. He he can't be. He can't replace short round. Okay, I'm so glad you mentioned it because that's the last thing I wanted to say. I wanted to ask you what you thought of Teddy. I, I like the idea of Teddy, but uh, God bless Teddy. I mean, once they're short round, and now of course short round is not only you know living well in our memories, but you know now he's back and he's just won an Oscar, and he and Steven Spielberg are best buddies and all of that. So that was that was really almost unfair to that actor yeah, to have it, to play that role because really it was, uh, I hate to say it was just about in, as inconsequential as, as a role could be, especially within the Indiana Jones lore. So, yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, a couple last things here when they went back in time, I was a little bit underwhelmed by how they did that in the first place. Um, they could have jumped the shark a little bit more in my opinion. Like it could have been so bad with the way they did that sequence, but they did it really late in the movie. And I was pretty surprised by that. I was, I was definitely checking my, uh, my watch every once in a while here. Um, but overall, I actually really liked how, you know, how they found that watch in the coffin with the other part of the dial. Yeah, it's yeah. like that time loop. It was meant to happen. And I love that Archimedes looted that off of the villain in the plane crash. That's actually really special. And I also thought it was like a cool sort of fake out where Indy appeared to be dying. And he was like, I'm in history right now. I'm living yeah. in history. I could die here happy. But I was really, really happy when Phoebe Waller-Bridge just was like, all right, I got to do this and just punched him, knocked him out and was like, no, you're coming back. So I did appreciate that for sure. Um, I thought that was done well. And then um, once again, at the end, I appreciated Marion, who was his first sort of love interest and Raiders of the Lost Ark coming back. I didn't want him, them to beat him down and eviscerate his character. It seemed like his son, Mutt, who was played by Shia LaBeouf in the fourth movie, um, had obviously been suggested that he was killed in the Vietnam War and Indiana Jones was going through a terrible time. I like that they left it open where it's not like we're absolutely going to get back together, but I like how they sort of shared that sense of loss and were able to come together and be able to talk about it for, you know, one more time. And she did still show care for him despite their separation. And I think that's a good full circle thing where it doesn't necessarily blast open this huge possibility for a sequel, but it also doesn't say this is completely the end. I think it's just a really good neutral ending where it's just like, in the end, he's old, he was able to go on all these adventures, and he mostly got what he wanted despite his hardships. I actually thought it was pretty solid, and I like how his goddaughter and Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character supported him in that and came to yeah. be that supportive uh, person. So I like that a lot. Oh, also, I do want to say Mads Mikkelsen got hit in the face by uh, on that train in the beginning sequence by that like pole at, what, 100 miles per hour? That guy should have been dead in the first 20 minutes. It's crazy. But um, yeah. yeah, go ahead and finish off with your thoughts. Well, I was just going to say, um, I, when when the idea of Marion reappearing or mm-hmm. appearing at the end of the film came, I thought, please tell me she's coming. Please tell me she's coming. Because once again, you know, I like closure. And Marion is by far in a way always going to be, I'm going to say it here, everyone's favorite uh 
female counterpart to uh, you know Indiana Jones, and so her return and the way it was done, I thought was was nice. It was you know sort of the beginning and the end. I like that closure very much, and I thought that worked very effectively. So for me, that was quite honestly very redeeming of mm-hmm. the film, but it was a little too little too late for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, this film does have a little bit of an identity crisis. The last part where they go back in time and then the ending comes, it's just kind of like that should have been more epic, but it wasn't. Yeah. But yeah. at the end of the day, this film is like, you know, this film is fine. It's not horrendous. There's nothing truly bad about it, but there's a lot of things that could have been well improved. And I think ultimately it goes out with a whimper. So agreed. Yeah. All right. So Noah. How many Z's are you giving Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Um, I'm going to give Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny probably two and a half Z's. I think it equates to about a five on a one to ten scale. So two and a half is probably where it belongs. Nothing terrible, but nothing nothing memorable. In fact, I think it's quite forgettable. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it two Z's. I just it was about what I expected and I was really hoping to be impressed. And unfortunately, I wasn't. So that's our review, folks, of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, Noah's giving it two and a half Zs. I'm giving it two Zs. Uh, and for me, this is a hard one, too, because this is of my generation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Gen X. And so I wanted it to be better. Um, given our time constraints, we're going to pass on uh, Check It Out this week, although I've got a really good one for next week um, since we're going to table it this week. But we're going to talk about right now what we're going to review next week. And Noah, what are we talking about next week? We are going to see uh, Asteroid City or The Flash, I guess. The Flash. We're watching The Flash. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> Easy for me to say, folks. I've already seen it. So, <laughs> saw it the day after I saw this. We're recording on July 4th. So, anyway, we will wrap up this episode of ZZ Talk and are looking forward to talking DC Universe next week. Noah, you want to close us out? Yeah. Thanks so much for sticking with us, and uh, we'll be watching much more blockbusters, so stay tuned. Until then, I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is Easy Talk.